Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who goes along with you. If I get drunk... Oklahoma basketball takes the lead here after Saturday's 93-69 victory over second-ranked Alabama. Uh, this game has been broken down and dissected multiple times since then. Bedlam's on the horizon. Bedlam 2.0, I should say. Uh, so just a couple of quick thoughts here. First of all, Porter Mosier has found the secret formula here. Grant Sherfield, 30 points. Jalen Hill, 26 points. Tanner Groves with a double-double, 14 points, 12 rebounds. This is what this basketball team needs moving forward. Now, obviously, banking on Sherfield to have a 30-plus night every night is not going to happen. Uh, better defense will be played in the Big 12 than what Alabama put on the floor at the Lloyd Noble Center on Saturday. But the point is this. These are your big three. These guys have to be your primary contributors. If, they're, if, if these three guys are leading the way, in, at least in double-digit figures, and I don't think it's out of the question – to expect Grant Sherfield to get into the 20s. I think he's the type of shooter, the guy who can create his shot. His range is somewhere within the gym. I don't think it's a, it's out of the realm of possibility of, of unrealistic expectations even to ask for 20-plus points. I've said this so many times. Tanner Grove should be a double-double. He, he should be a double-double every time he, he steps on the floor. Where Oklahoma runs into problems is when people get into Tanner Groh's head, like we saw in the second half. Well, I guess we saw in all of Bedlam, not just the second half. The problem is when Grant Sherfield goes cold, and sometimes Jalen Hill just doesn't know what to do because everyone wants Grant Sherfield to score. This worked on Saturday against Alabama, and I think it'll continue to work. I mean, it should uh, in some capacity. But here's the thing. I think we have to caution ourselves of putting too much stock into this one win. Now, I, I get it. I, I get it. Joe Lenardi has Oklahoma as the last four in now after that win over Alabama. I get it that it's for, uh, the largest uh, margin of victory ever over a nationally ranked number two opponent. Um, I get all that. But here's the part that I don't think is getting enough conversation following Saturday, is that the Big 12 went 7-3 and three against the SEC. And the in the Big 12 SEC showdown, the Big 12 was seven and three. That shows the grind that this conference is night in and night out. And and you know, across the board, top to bottom, probably not a lot of teams that are going to go on par with what Alabama has done and will continue to do this season. But also the the flip side of that is Oklahoma's it's going to be a grind. This is the deepest conference in America. No one is playing better basketball from top to bottom than than what you're seeing in the Big 12. Look at Texas Tech Monday night. Monday night got a victory over Iowa State. 
First, first conference victory ever of the season for the Red Raiders. They're sitting at one and eight in last place, but they scored a win over the top three team in the Big 12. This conference is a grind. The top seven teams are ranked in the top 25. Sorry, top six teams. <laughs> I, I had to stop and, and consider what I just said there. But still, the top six. So 60% of this conference, not just in the top 25, 60% of this conference is top 15. The, the lowest ranked team that the Big 12 has in the top 25 is TCU at number 15. And this is why I keep saying that you want to be somewhere in that top six. Because I, I think the top six, they're locks to get into the NCAA tournament. I think the top eight have a have a legitimate shot at getting into the NCAA tournament. I think the bottom two, they're out. And right now those bottom two are West Virginia and Texas Tech, but it's barely. There is not a lot of separation between Oklahoma State at number seven and Texas Tech at number 10. In the middle there, you got Oklahoma and West Virginia. Not a lot of separation there at all, especially when you look at the bottom three. I mean, Oklahoma is teetering on being nine or 10. The only thing that's keeping them out of that spot is their win over West Virginia in Norman. So you, you've got five home games remaining if you're the Sooners. This game, this win over Alabama, what it did was it resurrected a program that was struggling. You got that loss in Bedlam, you get blown out in Fort Worth, and you come home and to play a game that honestly nobody thought you had a chance. If you're an older, if you're an Oklahoma fan out there and you're like, hey, yeah, I knew they were going to beat Alabama. No, you didn't. You didn't. No one thought Oklahoma had a chance against Alabama, but yet not only did they win, they won big time. They won going away. So your season has been resurrected. You're on the bottom half of the bubble, but you are on the bubble where you weren't going into Saturday. What happens next is what will tell the tale of this Oklahoma win over Alabama. If you go out Wednesday night and you lose the second round of Bedlam on your home floor, this Alabama win really is kind of out the window. Sooners have five home games remaining. They got a road trip to West Virginia remaining. I mean, there's still a lot on the schedule to play for, but the point is you got to get those six wins. Sitting at 12 and 9 on the season. If you win your five home games, you pick up that game on the road against West Virginia. That's 18 wins going into Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament. Now, that's not going to be an easy, an easy task at all when you consider your home games are Kansas, Kansas State, you know, Texas Tech is there. That should be a layup. But you got to rematch against TCU and, oh, by the way, Bedlam 2.0 on Wednesday night. Still got games to Morgantown, you got games to Waco, you got games to Austin, you you got games to Ames, and you got games to Manhattan. There are wins left on this schedule for Oklahoma, but they have to carry that over from Alabama. If you go and you get blown out on your next road game, when you go to Morgantown on Saturday, well, you've wasted it. If you lose to Oklahoma State on Wednesday on your home floor, well, you've wasted it. But you can ride the wave of momentum. And this Bedlam game is really, really big because your next two are on the road. You get the Cowboys in Norman, and then you go to West Virginia, you go to Baylor, and then you come home against Kansas. That's not an easy slate. 
But because everybody's looking at you, because you got that attention from the Alabama game, because guys like Joe Lenardi are suddenly creeping you back in on that on that last four, a win over Oklahoma State, it propels you. You go to Morgantown, you get a win on the road. Uh, everything's clicking. Everything, everything is a possibility for Oklahoma in terms of the NCAA tournament right now. And that's what you wanted. I mean, this is for a team that finished one and three over the last four games in the month of January. You, this is a perfect situation. It's set up exactly like you wanted it to. Now you got to go and capitalize on it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to talk a little bit about Oklahoma softball as soon as getting ready to start the 2023 campaign. But before we get there, we need to talk about uh, National Signing Day, which is coming up February 1st. I, I think it's going to be a pretty uneventful day for the Sooners. Now, Oklahoma did pick up over the weekend a commitment from Taylor Heim out of Bethany. Um, his, his commitment just barely pushed Oklahoma in front of Ohio State for the number four class nationally. And even though he's a three-star recruit, I mean, we're, we're talking about a kid who I, I described him on our website as a Swiss Army knife of a football player. I mean, he scored just this season alone. He, he scored touchdowns throwing the football, catching the football. He scored defensive touchdowns, almost 1,700 all-purpose yards. Defensively, he had 65 tackles, six interceptions. He becomes the 26th member of this class. And that's a fascinating thought when you consider what's going to happen with the transfer portal. I mean, you, you break this down right now, what's happening for Oklahoma, for this roster in 2023. You've got 14 guys who are members of the 2023 recruiting class who are already on campus. Early enrollees, they will participate in spring football. you got 11 more guys who are coming during the summer, and, and then you've got one guy in Taylor Heim who's going to commit on Wednesday and then be a part of that summer group. So that's 12, 26 guys. Then you got 12 more guys coming in through the transfer portal. So that's 38 new players on your roster as of right now. I don't, I don't think anywhere out there it's realistic to expect more another wave of, of players to hit the transfer portal. It's going to happen. It has to happen. And, and what you're seeing develop with this coaching staff is, yep, we've got to build the young guys, but we got to bring in guys immediately who can participate on this on this team in this program right now in 2023. That's why you're getting guys like Walter Rouse, the offensive line transfer out of Stanford, guys like uh, Davon Sears, um, who's coming in on, on the defensive line. You, you've got uh, the, uh, Anthony Kidd, the wide receiver out of Michigan, and so on and so on and so on. I mean, Trace Ford's probably here in, in Oklahoma, um, the highest profile guy because he's coming from Oklahoma State, to the University of Oklahoma. But again, it's staying in conference. Your safety, Reggie Pearson uh, out of Texas Tech. So you're, you're seeing these guys 
that are coming in that, that are going to be stopgap players. One or two years of eligibility left on that. Now, there are some exceptions like the McCullough kid and so forth who have more than, than the one or two years. But th- this, this roster is being heavily turned over from 2022 to 2023. And you've got guys, I've said this all along, if, if you're bringing in a guy from the transfer portal, if you're bringing in a guy from the junior college route, it is on a, it's on a fast track. It's not, it's not the bring in the freshman, get him used to living life away from mom and dad, put some meat on him, bulk him up, let him learn the program, let him learn... Um, the ins and outs of the speed of this game. That is not the case when you talk about guys coming out of the transfer portal. Now, some guys are coming in and they're going to add depth. Like, for example, the tight end, Blake Smith, the guy out of Texas A&M. This guy has two catches in his collegiate career. Two. So it's not it's not reasonable to think that, well, he's going to come in and really compete with Austin Stogner. Now, he might. But if he does, that's going to be a surprise. That's going to be like one of those stories like, hey, we were thought we were getting depth, but now we got this potential star. The idea here is that Austin Stogner comes in. He's your new tight end. All right? He's replacing Braden Willis. He's going to be that tall 6'6", 235 target for Dylan Gabriel. And then whatever you get out of Blake Smith, be it depth, be it blocking, be it whatever, that's just gravy. But the point is, is that this is a a roster that's almost 40 players brand new when they take the field on September 2nd. Is that the right date? I don't know. Hey, by the way, schedule's coming out at some point today after I record the podcast, obviously. So we'll have to come back and and talk about that. But anyway, Oklahoma with the number four class nationally. National Sign Day is coming up. Um, I mean, they are are just, just a tad uh, ahead of Ohio State at the number four spot, Ohio State number five. That could easily flip after National Signing Day. Um, let's talk real fast about um, about Oklahoma softball. The coaches poll has come out. It's released, and the Sooners are unanimous number one uh, in the NCAA softball coaches poll. Um, this is a team that is stacked. They are absolutely stacked. And Patty Gasso is doing it the right way, combining the transfer portal with uh, developed talent through bringing in freshmen. Oklahoma, unanimous number one. UCLA, number two. Now, they finished number three last year. Oklahoma State, number three. Florida, number four. And Florida State, number five. Florida State makes a big jump here. Uh, The Seminoles were number 13 in the final poll. Texas drops down. They were number two in the final poll. They dropped down to number six. Uh, and then you look through here. Now, we talk about the Big 12 a lot, and I'm, I'm going to get to that here in just a minute. But I've, I've mentioned Iowa State. I've mentioned Baylor as potential uh, teams that could make a run into the uh, NCAA tournament in, in May. But Iowa State and Baylor, both in the other receiving votes category, um, so we'll see. But here, here's three things. I think as we get ready for Oklahoma softball to crank it up next week, um, there are three things that I think we need to talk about when it comes to OU softball. First of all, I think this offensive lineup will be more potent than what they were last year. And and, I, and we've talked about this, okay? And the shock value of saying, well, they're losing Jocelyn all over, but they're going to be even better. The shock value of that statement is gone. And I think the reality is sitting in that they absolutely will be dangerous. They'll be better. This will be a more dangerous lineup than what Oklahoma produced in 2022. 
You look at Tiari Jennings, who's going to be the, the top player uh, in the country. She's the, going to be the preseason, the midseason, and the postseason favorite for the National Player of the Year. You got uh, Jada Coleman, who can hit for average. She can also hit for power. They they brought in Sydney Sanders, who, who was a freshman All-American um, at Arizona State. You got Haley Lee, who was the home run queen for Texas A&M, coming to Norman to play her final season. There, there's not a hole in this lineup. There, there's not a spot where a pitcher can take a break and, and pitch around. And so there's no one to pitch around to. I mean, the way Patty Gasso is going to stack this lineup is, well, if you walk this one, then that one's coming behind her. There, there, there's not a break. This won't be an easy lineup. So I think they're going to be more potent than what they were a year ago, even with the loss of Jocelyn Allo. I think the second thing you look when it comes to this team is that pitching is going to be better. Pitching is going to be better than it was in 2022. And that's not saying that pitching was bad. I mean, they, they won the national championship for crying out loud. But, I mean, the same thing about the offense. I mean, the offense was pretty good in 2022, and it can improve. Well, so can the pitching, and here's how. Jordy Ball is going to be healthy. Remember, Jordy Ball injured herself. I think it was the Texas series. And never really was the same until the World Series rolled around. And even in that, you had some concerns. Well, she's healthy to the point that she's playing offense and defense. In fall ball, she was banging home runs. So you got Jordy Ball coming in as a, as a, a year older, a year wiser, and a year healthier. She'll be the best pitcher on this roster. And that's, that's the Captain Obvious no-dust statement. But Nicole May is the sleeper here because all this kid has done has gotten better year after year. And now she's a, a year older, a year wiser, a year more experienced. She's learning what she can and cannot do. She's getting comfortable with herself in the circle. And if that wasn't enough, you bring in Alex Duraco from Michigan, who, by the way, had 300 strikeouts last year for the Wolverines. So you're going to set this up. Here's, here is my prediction. Jordy Ball is going to be your starter. Nicole May is going to be that reliever, middle reliever, or the alternate starter. And I think you're going to see Alex Duraco as your closer. I think that's the way this is going to. Do you remember how she, um, how she, uh, how Patty Gasso stacked this a couple years ago, where you got three three pitchers who could have started anywhere in the country, but yet she worked them all out and they won the national championship in 2021. And everyone's like, oh, no, what's going to happen in 2022? Well, you, you worked it out. And now 2023, you're back to where you were, where you've got all-star selections at your disposal. So you're going to put one, one All-American out there to start your game. You have a potential All-American in Nicole May who can be your middle reliever. And then you got Alex Duraco, who's an All-American uh, candidate that can be your closer. Th- this will be a nasty, nasty lineup from the circle oh and don't forget by the way you've got the um you got the best shortstop in all of college softball behind the circle in grace lions and and i, I think i i think if, if you were going to question this team from from 2022 to 2023 it may be a little bit in the fielding department because we just don't know what these girls can do what we you know grace lions is the best in the country you know that you know, T.R. Jennings is super, super solid at second base. But there, there are some question marks here when it comes to fielding. 
not in a bad way. Not, not, no, there's a difference between question marks and doubts. You, you just say, oh, well, I doubt they're going to be that good in fielding. That, that's different than saying, well, I just don't know. And I think we're, we're at the I don't know phase when you look at third base, when you look at some of those things. But you know you're solid in the middle of that infield with Grace Lyons and Tiari Jennings. So here's, here's the three things. First of all, the offense is going to be better than last year. It, just no way around it. The second thing is that pitching is going to be better than last year. And then the third thing is this. And this is, what, this is, the, this is the, contra, um, the contrast of one and two. This team may suffer more losses in 2023 than they did in 2022. Now, that's, that's in no way an indictment about, um, about this team taking a step backwards. That's in no way uh, prognosticating that they won't win the Big 12, that they won't be in Oklahoma City for the World Series, and that they won't be national champions. I think all of those things are not just possibilities. I think they're very real possibilities, and Oklahoma is a favorite to do all those things. But something we've talked about here, and, and maybe not enough, is how brutal this non-conference schedule is. They're, they're going to start next week. I guess, what, it's February 9th they start? You got uh, the, the Mark Campbell Invitational. You're going to play at Stanford. You're going to play Washington. You've got UCLA, who's number two in the nation. They're on your schedule. Kentucky's on your schedule. Florida State's on your schedule. Northwestern's on your schedule. Auburn's on your schedule. And that's even before you get to Big 12 play. We've got Oklahoma State, Texas, Iowa State, and Baylor. Uh, this is just a brutal, brutal schedule. And, and what Patty Gasso does is she learns something with every series or every game. And so they may take one on the chin. You may drop a game to UCLA. But in doing so, Patty Gasso is going to learn enough about you that it won't happen again. I think they run the table in the Big 12. I really do. I, I think this non-conference schedule sets them up so well that Patty Gasso is going to learn enough about herself. She's going to learn enough about her pitchers. She's going to learn enough about her hitters and her fielders. That when Big 12 play finally rolls around, this team is going to be unstoppable. I, I, think, I think you go back to 2021 and you see them run the table. I'm not talking about winning every series. I'm talking about winning every game. That's a possibility. That is a realistic possibility for this team. It's just this non-conference schedule sets up for Oklahoma to maybe drop a few. And that's okay because what you want is in the first week of June, you want to be one of the final two teams standing and you want to hoist that trophy. And and when you, you look at what Patty Gasso added through the transfer portal, I think there's going to be a, a time uh, each, each, each young lady is, is talented in their own individual way. But there may be an adjustment. There may be. There may be a funk. There may be a slump. There may be a rhythm problem. I mean, unlikely with Alex Duraco coming in the circle, but there may be. We've seen it happen before. I mean, gosh, Jocelyn Allo went on a slump her sophomore year. If, if that can happen to her, it can happen to anybody. I don't think we hit the panic button. I, I, I'm not prognosticating gloom and doom. I'm just saying that there's, there's a possibility 
this team loses more games than they did in 2022. And look, that's not a lot. They didn't lose a lot in 2022. So I'm not saying that they're going to be battling to stay above 500. We'll just have to see how it plays out. But one thing we do know is that we're pretty excited that softball's coming up. Also excited because it's your turn to set the conversation with true or false. So this is the part where I get to remind you that you can participate in true or false by hitting us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland on Twitter. You can find us on the internet, heartland-sports.com. Each podcast has its own uh, post there, and you can drop a comment there, true or false. We try our best to monitor them all and get as many as we can. A uh, little little skim this last week, um, we, we actually had five. So there was no decision-making here. Uh, the five true or false statements that we received are the five true or false statements that we're using um, just because we may not use yours once uh, or twice doesn't mean we don't appreciate it. It just means, hey, we, we get to five. So here we go. Everybody who submitted last week uh, gets gets involved this week, starting with Kim, who says uh, true or false storming the court after beating Alabama was a bad look. Um no, Kim, this is false. I, I, I know this has been a um, it's been a big debate on social media. I know it's been a big debate um, on uh, uh, on local radio, but here's the reality of this situation. They have been begging, begging for a home crowd to do what that home crowd did on Saturday. Begging for it. Porter Mosher said after the game it's the best crowd he has experienced since coming to Norman. It has been 20 years since Oklahoma beat a number two team. Buddy Hilt um, didn't even do that. You, you got to go back to Hollis Price to find the last time this has happened. Okay? So, yes, if you're talking football and you, 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 you beat Alabama in football, you don't storm the field. But for a program that's been begging for fan participation – for a university that's been begging to fill the Lloyd Noble Center, to come out and not just beat the number two team in the nation, not just get your biggest win in 20 years, not just um, to, to snap a losing streak, but to win in dominating fashion, knowing that the crowd played a role in that? Absolutely. You stormed that court 10 out of 10 times. And people well, act like you've been there before. You know what? You haven't. For a lot of those kids that were on the court, both playing the game and storming it afterwards, they weren't around when Buddy Hill was, was uh, excuse me, when Hollis Price was beating Kansas at the Big 12 Championship. They weren't around for that. They don't know that. They haven't seen that on their home floor. So let them do it. Let them do it. Let them enjoy it. Let them have the moment um, and let it move on. The, the fact that it was junior day, and the football team was there, and a lot of prospects were there, recruits. Um, that didn't hurt the situation either. I, it was a great moment. I, I, I'm not taking anything away from it. I'm, now, you don't want to make a habit out of it. You know, if you beat Oklahoma State Wednesday night in the second round of Bedlam, you don't storm the court after that. But you're an unranked team, and you just took down one of the top two teams in the country. And you haven't done something like that in two decades. Yes, you stormed the court. I mean, you think about the last time um, the last time someone uh, stormed the field after a football win was 2000. All right, so 22 plus years ago. That's how long it's been since Oklahoma 
scored a big win like that. So yeah, enjoy the moment. I don't think it's a bad look. Um, and, uh, and I don't think you can say, act like you've been there before because for probably 80% of the people on that floor after the game, they never have been there before. Um, Adam says this, true or false, the Super Bowl is a win-win situation for Sooner Nation. Adam, I love this. I love this uh, question or this statement, and it's 100% true. But here, I'm curious about this. Because when it comes down to who you're cheering for in the Super Bowl, I think seeing Kansas City beat Cincinnati, for me, for me, it made it easier. My choice of who I'm cheering for in the Super Bowl become a little bit easier because, I mean, look, I all due respect to Orlando Brown and Creed Humphrey, I think it's a little easier to cheer for Jalen Hurts for me. I would have struggled cheering for Jalen Hurts and Lane Johnson over Joe Mixon, Samaj P. Ryan. That would have been a little bit more difficult for me. Uh, I, just, I guess you just cheer for whoever has the ball. But, you know, I, I want Lane Johnson and, and Jalen Hurts. I think I want them to win this thing. Um, I know it's Creed's first Super Bowl, uh, Orlando Brown. I mean, look, I, but I, that whole Patrick Mahomes factor, for me, I, it, it, I'm, I'm happy. You're right, it, Adam. It is a win-win situation. Somebody from the University of Oklahoma is going to hoist a, a Super Bowl trophy at the end of the game. So from that, from that standpoint, you're a winner. The fact that you've got so many players, both active and inactive, starters in reserve, you got so many players from your university participating in this game, you're a winner. But I think when it comes to actually pulling for somebody, not having Cincinnati there made it a no-brainer for me. I want Philly to win. And I'm an AFC guy. I really am. And maybe that's maybe that's why, because you know I'm a Dolphins fan and I don't like the Chiefs because the Dolphins stink, right? Um, so sometimes when, when your team can't do it, you cheer for the team that's playing the guys from your conference that are doing it. You know what I'm saying? Um, but anyway, the point is, Adam, you're right. It's a win-win for, for the University of Oklahoma with so many players participating in this. For me personally, I'm going to be happy for whoever wins, but I'm just I'm pulling for the Eagles. I'm just curious what you guys have your thoughts on that. Um, Chris says this. Oh, this is a good one. And I think it's true. Um, Chris says this. The Jeff Levy drama isn't over. This is true. Now, Jeff Levy has turned down two programs. All right. He's turned down TCU. Uh, that was a no-brainer. I, I don't think there was any temptation. I, I don't think Jeff Levy had to even think about that. Oh, but TCU just went to the playoff. Good. All right. Good for you, TCU. Um, but no, it's a no-brainer. Um Alabama probably caused some restless nights. You, you mull that over, but at the end of the day, you turn this down. And, and here's the reason why. I can tell you why. There's two reasons why Jeff Levy turned down Alabama. Reason number one is because OU is his alma mater. This is, this is home for him. But I think the heavier thing, reason number two, is Jackson Arnold. I, I, and I think this, this speaks well of Jeff Levy because – the reports are Alabama was offering him half a million dollars more to come there than what he's getting paid at the University of Oklahoma. Now, for you and I, half a million dollars, that's a lot of money. Well, I'm assuming for you. I know for me it is, so maybe I, maybe maybe that's chump change for you. I don't know. But he turned down a half a million dollars more to stay in Norman and not go to Alabama. And, and I think Jackson Arnold, that recruitment, that relationship, the, seeing him develop, played a big role in that. 
Now, I've, I've always said this as well, is that, you know, Jeff Levy was was connected, not just to Jackson Arnold, but you have Peyton Bowen here, I think, because of Jeff Levy. Jackson Arnold was very instrumental in swaying Peyton Bowen. Now, I know his girlfriend, I get that, okay? But the point is this. This drama's not over because of what's happening with Todd Munkin. Todd Munkin is in line to be the favorite, to be the new coach for the Baltimore Ravens, if that happens, George is on the market looking for an offensive coordinator, and one of their very first phone calls is going to be to Jeff Levy. Now, I expect if you're going to turn down Alabama, you're probably going to turn down Georgia. Not not a knock on the prestige, because I think both of those are, are extremely prestigious schools. Obviously, Georgia, with the back-to-back championships, is, is there, um, you know, they are where they are. But the point is this. The point is this. Jeff Levy's in Norman. And, and I think I think Oklahoma fans, for a portion of the fan base, here we go, soapbox time. For a portion of the fan base, this is probably a good wake-up call. Because it wasn't perfect what we saw out of Jeff Levy. But also I think when you look at the tools that were there and you see maturation through the season culminating in that bowl game against Florida State, you, you see everything coming together. Now you got some more guys that you've recruited. You've got some more guys who are more developed. What I'm saying is there's a portion of this fan base not very high on Jeff Levy. And that's okay. If that's who you want to be, that's okay. But the fact that Kirby Smart is pretty high on Jeff Levy Nick Saban's pretty high on Jeff Levy. I think I'm going to take those guys and their opinions with more weight than couch potato guy. Just throwing that out there. That's that's my take on this. Uh, but I do agree with you, um, Chris. This uh, this isn't over with on the Jeff Levy drama because I think you're probably if Todd Munkin goes to Baltimore. You're probably going to see a push from from Georgia, and that'll take you into spring ball. Um, all right, uh, Donnie says this: true or false? Uh, National Signing Day won't bring any new signees for OU. Um, well, we know this is false, Donnie, because of Taylor Heim. Um, I don't really know who else is out there. Now, Taylor Heim was kind of a late addition, so there may be some other guys who are late additions. Um, so if you're including Taylor Heim in your statement, then I think I might say true. Obviously, if you didn't think about Taylor Heim, this is false because he'll, he'll be signing on National Signing Day to close out the 2023 recruiting cycle. Um, but you just never know. You never know if there's going to be a last-minute drama with a flip or a switch or whatever. You don't know who, who's, who's going in and out and, and so forth. But it looks pretty safe at this point. Uh, but I'm going to say false because of Taylor Heim. We know for sure he's going to be in one more. There's going to be at least one more guy who signs on National Signing Day. Uh, Sean says this. Here's the last one. Sean says, true or false, with Marvin Mims moving on, Jalil Farouk becomes the top target in 2023. Now you're talking receiving target. Um, I actually thought about it. I don't usually spend a lot of time thinking about the true or false statements because I just kind of want to say what's on my mind, let that be a fresh thought. But I did. I spent some time thinking about this, Sean, um, and I think it's true. 
Now, keep in mind, Drake Stoops had more catches in 2022 than Jaleel Farouk did, but I think we all would agree the potential of what Jaleel Farouk can do with the ball in his hands is greater than that of Drake Stoops. That's not a knock against Drake Stoops. He's a very, very good possession receiver. He's going to be that guy who makes the catch and, and gets that big first down or gets that touchdown or moves the chains, right? But um, Jaleel Farouk is your guy who can do it all, right? He can, he can stretch the seam. He can get vertical on the boundary. He can come across the middle. He can catch a shovel pass. He can take it end around. Um, because of all of that, I think you're, I think this is true that this this becomes this receiving core becomes Jalil Farouk's. But then again, where does Austin Stogner play into this? I, I know apples oranges tight end wide receiver can't really compare. But the, my what I'm really curious to see is what happens inside the red zone, right? Is this is this a thing where? Where Jalil, between the 20s, right? Between the 20s, Jalil Farouk is your guy. But once you get inside the red zone, does this become Austin Stogner as your top target? Does this become his domain? And I think that's a very real situation that could present itself. And I think it's, a, it's, it's good for the University of Oklahoma to have that type of guy. Because they, don't, they haven't really had that yet. With Jeff Levy, obviously, it's only been one season. But you got a guy with great size, with great experience in Austin Stogner. Does he become more of a red zone threat? And then you have two top primary receivers, Jaleel Farouk between the 20s and then Austin Stogner in the red zone. That's just what I'm throwing out there as my only caveat. But I'm going to say this is, uh, Sean, I'm going to say this is true. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of Sooner Nation Podcast. Um, we're going to be back as much as we can, uh, hitting a, kind of a dry season, a lot of heavy travel for me uh, with my job. But, uh, man, again, just want to say thanks so much for everybody who tunes in. Um, if you subscribe, man, we just appreciate it. If you hit that like button, if you give us a good rating, if you don't like it, it's okay. Um, again, I say this all the time, not the only podcast out there. I'm never going to claim to be the best podcast out there. Just a guy sharing his thoughts. So if you don't like it, I get it. Thanks for trying it. Uh, but have a great uh, week. Enjoy your weekend when it comes around. Stay warm. Stay safe. We'll see you